It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. And today's special guest, human potential coach, Holly Copeland, MA, says that living in flow is reorienting to the live aware within you that is already installed. You just haven't activated it yet. Um, Uniting ancient wisdom with modern science, Holly supports people to a clear, calm, and awakened mind through neurofeedback, brain training, meditation, coaching, quantum healing, workshops, retreats. Um, This is what she refers to as the heart-mind alchemy journey. Uh, So Holly Copeland is a certified human potential coach, as I said, and neuromeditation teacher, sound healer, and Reiki master. Um, she, as a scientist and biohacker who unites ancient wisdom with modern science, Holly now harnesses modern technology and neuroscience to empower clients on their path to human flourishing and upgrading from ordinary mind to luminous awareness. Good morning, Holly. Welcome. Good morning, Randy. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. And uh, hello to everybody listening. Oh, great. Thank you. It's it's wonderful to have you here. Okay, so let's let me let me start off by asking. So you're a human potential coach. What is mm-hmm. how how do you um define that? Yeah, I mean, I really define that as helping people flourish and become, you know, find their uh, essential, you know, whole and essential perfect being that's just waiting to um, come alive. So getting their flourishing self back online. Mm. It's as simple as that. Okay. So we all have it. I guess we come into this world with it. And through life, um, through the challenges that we experience, I guess things get blocked and blurred and all those kind of things. So it's really there within all of us. We just have to find our way back. Exactly, exactly. To me, it's like a pull, tracing your way back to the, the essential being that is you, that's, that is already here. It's already that hardware is installed. Like love is the nature of our being, um, and we're essentially good and perfect and whole already. But we get layered with, you know, traumatic experiences, with difficult childhoods, you know, with all of the stuff of being human, and um, and it really clouds and obscures that reality. And so, because we all have it, and because it's 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 unmistakable, it's there. It's really um, a journey back to. It's like a journey home to finding your blueprint, to finding your song. And what I do. it's very it's very possible that we all can do this, right? Hundred percent. Everybody can do it. Everybody's meant to do it. That's to me. That's, um, I guess, my understanding. You know, a little bit more spiritual, philosophical. Like we're all here to do that. Actually, 
That's my belief. But whether you believe that or not, like the hardware of goodness and love is installed. Every baby is born into the world loving, ready to love. So that's, you know, that's unmistakable. I think that's undeniable. Yeah, I agree with you. It is undeniable. You said that your mission is to help humanity crack the code to upgrade from ordinary mind into luminous awareness and discover the loving, peaceful, and resilient presence within. Um, what is ordinary mind and, and versus luminous awareness? awareness? So ordinary mind to me is caught in the identity of you. Just thinking that you're this limited human being with all these, again, the layers, all the faults, all the guilt, all the shame, all the blame, all that stuff that we get layered on top of. And when we get confused and and, uh, identify with those thoughts, we create a persona that's damaged, um, like damaged goods. And luminous awareness is this simple flip back into the seeing of your being is already whole. And when you see that and you make that jump, then you have this capacity to kind of be with all the parts that are damaged, all the guilt parts, but not identify with them. They're not, they don't define you. They're not who you are. So you're re, you're, it's like you're, you're shifting into a new view of actually who you are. And that person is, that, that new view is able to do, to, it's like it's an alchemy. It's al- the, the guilt and shame can be there as like a, a wounded part, but you have this new capacity, this new adult in the room that can, um, that can alchemize that pain. And that's the somatic work that I do that's around breath work and, and biofield tuning and these different things that can kind of – so that's to me, that's like that's, that's the companion that goes. So I see this, the journey, the way I see it is like – there's two parts. There's the seeing the new view of who you really are, and that understanding is not the small, limited self. And there's the vibrational healing of the body that's got these, you know, guilt and shame parts that we can release energetically. It sounds so exciting to know that we can all do this. Um, what kind of – are these things that we can learn to do on our own? Um, or do we need um, tools or, um, um, you know, a, a guide or a yeah. coach or anything like that to get there? Yeah. I mean, you know, what Rumi said, everything you need, you already have. It's already here. You know, you have all the tools. That said, and some people like Eckhart Tolle had a shift that catapulted him into this realization that he wasn't the limited self. So sometimes it happens on our own, but more often we need teachers and guides to point the way. I certainly had many, many, um, it, you know, on my team that helped me, you know, make the transformations in my own personal journey. So I, yeah, very think that the teachers and guides and mentors have a huge role to play in helping us make these shifts. That's what I do. So, so, the, so when people come to you, are they coming um, because they're having um, emotional, psychological problems? Are they coming because they're having physical problems? Or they just want a better way to live? All of the above. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I see all different kinds of people. Um, yeah. And um, 
Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All the above. All the above. All what the is, above. Um, yeah. Okay. Above. So you're a um, teacher of non-dual awareness and subtle energy meditation techniques, and you use mm-hmm. neurotechnology. So explain all of that to us. Okay. <laughs> non, uh, non-dual awareness, subtle energy meditation, neurotechnology. Yeah. What are all these things? Okay, let me start with non-dual awareness. Non-dual awareness is a term in the kind of Buddhist, um, it actually crosses a lot of different traditions from Hinduism and Vedanta to Buddhism. Um, And what it means is it's this understanding that we are not a separate, small, separate self. Um, One of the teachers I really love in this space is a man named Rupert Spira, lives in England, he has some amazing books and YouTube videos so people can look him up. Um, and he, so it's this pointing, like I talked about earlier, that we already are whole. We're already um, uh, this awareness that the, the I am. And, and I don't know if you, if you don't mind, I might just kind of point to that um, in a little guided. Would, would you mind sure. if I did that? So just oh, I'd love minutes? that. Mm-hmm, sure. Okay, great. So everybody who's listening, just um, bring your attention to all the things, like maybe focus on an object in your room right now. I'm looking at a chair, right? And just notice that that, like the sort of normal way of looking, and you notice that the object is, has boundaries and edges, right? So the chair has, it's defined. And then what is it like to turn your attention to that which knows the chair? So the knowing awareness of the chair. And notice that awareness, the knowing of the chair or the object, has no boundaries or edges. That it is, so you can like actually do this, actually take, you know, take your awareness out and see if you can find an edge just to show, to show, show it to yourself. There's no edge or boundary. Just, so I'll just ask you, Randy, do you feel that or sense that, that there's an object that you're viewing and then there's something that knows and it's bigger than that object and it has no edges? I'm not so clear on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let, me, let me take a different one then. Okay. Um, notice, yeah, so notice... Um, Go ahead and close your eyes and become aware of this knowing part of you that knows like when you were a little girl and then when you were like a teenager and when you were in your 20s and kind of go through. And there's this memory that you can bring up and all these things that have happened. And then there's a part of you, the knowing part, that feels like it's always been the same, that that it has actually not changed, that even though all these different events have come and gone in your life, there's an essential being that has a timeless quality. Do you feel that? Yes, that I feel. Okay, great, perfect. So that timeless quality is this awareness that I'm pointing to and sometimes it can be harder to feel in an object so so that's great great that you can feel it in this so 
it's the unchanging element of our experience of being human. So you sense and feel that like a thought arises in awareness, like you can bring to mind, again, you can keep your eyes closed, that thought of what you had for breakfast, for example, and it comes up and you're aware of it, and then it won't stay, it will disappear at some point, right? right. Is that true? Yes. And has, and has any thought that you've ever had ever stayed in your awareness? Probably not, not unless I recall it. Right, right, exactly. It has not. Like, no thought has ever stayed, has ever just taken up residence and stayed, which means that you can't be a thought because you can't disappear. Is that right? Right. Right. So this that I'm pointing to, understanding that you aren't a thought. You can't be. You're that which knows a thought. Right? Right. Right. And we get, and yet, we get confused because a feeling of guilt or shame or fear arises and we think, I am, you know, I feel awful, I am ashamed, or I am afraid. And that's actually just something that's arising in our awareness. It's arising to this essential self. Okay, got it. Okay. And so that understanding, that's starting to... It's what we're starting to do is recognize that in real, our experience of being human, our fundamental day-to-day, moment-to-moment experience, there's an object, a feeling, a thought, a thing you see, a sound, and there's the subject, the essential I. And first what we do is we understand that we're not the objects. We actually get, have, a, we have a confused, the identity Really what identity is, is the confusion that I am the fear. I am that thing. But you're not, because I just pointed, you can't be, because you're the timeless part that doesn't come and go. Which means you're timeless, and if we did more of this, you'd see that you're unlimited, you have no edges or boundaries, and you're whole. That's the essential wholeness that you already are. And if you go deeper with this, you start to understand, you start to, rec- you start to one, drop the I-ness, drop the holliness or randiness or whomever's listening as this little small, you start to see that that's all a creation in the mind and you start to pull apart our experience of reality to see our fundamental wholeness. And that's, that move is where the healing really begins, where we start to start to, mm, to remove our confusion that we're this limited, separate self. That's non-dual awareness. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. I understand that. <laughs> I, now, I, now, thank that. you. <laughs> thank you. I, I completely understand yeah. that. Okay. Why yeah. do we have dual awareness? What is, 
why do we all experience that if we have this non-duality that we come into this world with? Yeah. Well, that's a really deep question that I think all the sages and wisdom traditions have been trying to answer for centuries. But I'll take my, I'll take my personal understanding of why, why is this even happening then? What, you okay. know, why doesn't consciousness just, you know, if it was just formless love, then I think what, what's happening is, is that consciousness, is, which is what we are, we're, everything is actually consciousness. And that, that actually gets to another part of the non-dual awareness understanding, which is that the material world is actually just made of consciousness. So it goes deeper and it's kind of a longer, you know, it would be a whole branch of the tree we could go on. Um, But when we understand that actually everything is consciousness, then we see that, well, okay, so we're consciousness is creating this form so it can have a conscious experience, so it can experience love and form. That's what I think is actually happening. Okay, um, so it's really about yeah. um, our experience as as a physical body, a physical per, you know, in a physical world, because we're here to experience things that we wouldn't experience as just um, a spirit or soul or pure consciousness, right? Right. Am I, am I, yes. Right. Formlessness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. right. And so, the reason we come here, if we just wanted to be formless. Formless, have formlessness or um, just consciousness, we wouldn't incarnate, right? Correct. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I don't think there's any mistakes. I think consciousness is here specifically to experience itself in form. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. This is deep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I sometimes I dive right into this stuff, and I'm like, well, where where am I going with this? Okay, I so does that feel true to you? I'm just curious. <laughs> well, it's and it's yes, it's something that I've explored before, you know. Um, yeah. But I think that we can't, you know, it would be wonderful to be pure consciousness and and experience non-duality. Um, how do we do that? How do we balance that out with living in the physical world? Yeah. So how do we balance that out living in the physical world? So what we do is we, we thought we solve the, um, the problem or the riddle, the, the, the misidentification with a separate self. And we go back to understanding ourselves as infinite whole, you know, consciousness in form playing this out. And so it's like understand, as Rupert says in his uh, metaphors, it's like recognizing that we're the actor in the play. The play is playing out, but we're not confusing ourselves as the, um, you know, um, the character. We're not, we're, we're actually understanding that we're consciousness and we're having this experience. And then that, coupled with somatic healing allows us to move in the world without in, in sort of resting in this knowing, resting in knowing that you're love, resting in knowing. It's like a, you get to rest in compassion and love 
and be with all of the things that are happening in the world. They're still happening, but they don't affect you. Like you're not pulled around like, um, you know, like you're at the edge of a chain, end of a chain, which is how my life felt before. I just felt like, oh, every sad, awful thing that I encountered, whether it was something I read on the news or something that, you know, happened to a family member, just like wrenched my gut, just triggered this awful pain in me everywhere I went. And that's a, you know, it doesn't feel good to live that way. That's suffering. Buddha would say that's why we, that's suffering. But when we take this, when we, when we shift into this non-dual awareness way of being, this upgraded way of being, we're still moving in the world. We're still, things are, you know, bad things are still happening in the world, but they don't affect us the same way because we're, we, we, aren't identifying with them. It's hard to describe, but it's like the felt sense of living is entirely different. It's like like a totally different operating system came online. That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that. I like like the way, um, you know, you described or or he described, you know, um, observing the actor um, and knowing who the person truly is, you know, um, that Mm -hmm. we're not we're not that actor. Um, yeah. And it's this is a hard thing to grasp. I think it takes time to really grasp it. What are some ways that we can learn? I know that you use breath work and um, you use energetic healing, um, biofield tuning and things like that. Um, how do these things help us to get back to um, our understanding of who we are as pure consciousness? So I'm just going to start by saying the first one is, to me is to meditate. And I, I'm going to just say right out, like I only started meditating about four years ago when I did my journey into this really started. Um, and I used to think, you know, oh, I can't, I can't do this. And I would try and it wouldn't work. And I just say, well, running is my meditation. Um, but, but really, and it doesn't have to be long, but, you know, even 15, 20 minutes, of a guided meditation and I have some on my insight timer channel. And like I mentioned other teachers like Rupert Spira or Muji's another one um, to, to start to investigate with guidance, with meditative guidance, this understanding of who you really are. And the best way to do that is to sit down and let somebody point and guide you into this until, you know, that's that meditative process of starting to understand who you are. I, I think it's really fundamental. So that's to me like step one is to, you know, start to do practices. So it's not a thought. This isn't something you're thinking about. This is your, it's an experience. And that's a big difference because as you said, really rightly so, this is, it's, it's hard to grasp. It's hard to understand. Your mind actually, the problem is the mind is the problem. <laughs> The sexual mind is where the problems, the the misidentification starts. So we really have to go beyond the conceptual mind, and that's what meditation is about, you know, getting familiar with who we really are. Yeah, I like like guided meditation for people who um, don't really know how to meditate because you don't have to try. You just let yourself be taken into this, Mm -hmm. you know, into into this – Discovery, yeah. inner discovery. Yeah, it's it's discovery. So much easier. It really is a discovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's like take up the journey. You know, you're a you know you're walking on the trail. You've got, you know you're on the path, 
and, you know, treat it like that, like a discovery of who really am I. Um, it's such a mm-hmm. beautiful path to really, you know, start to want to understand who you really are. Um, yeah, I think, I think this is something that benefits, yeah, I think it benefits everyone at some point because we do mm-hmm. get caught up in, um, uh, you know, in this living, this, this life that we're living and we become, we develop an identity based on our experiences and things like that, which I find in my work, um, a lot of times it's very difficult for people to let the past go because it is the identity. It is what has defined them for so long. And it's a terrifying thing to let go of the past and the experiences because then they don't know who they are. And that's a terrifying feeling, right? Right. Exactly. They don't know who they are. And, right. um, and yet we want to, we don't want to hold the guilt or the shame or the blame or the fear. We don't want to hold on to those. And yet we, it's like, to me, the pain is actually your greatest teacher. You're holding on to the pain because it's trying to liberate you. It's trying to point you into it's staying there and it will stay there until you unlock it, until you face it. And so, um, and that, you know, that can, the, the insights that you get into inquiry, or, which are so important, but uh, um, are step one. But the energetic vibration often is still there. And that's, to me, step two. That's why I do the, the tuning fork work and the breath work, because they go together. Then that's, you know, you've, you've got, we're an energetic being in an energetic body, right? We know now, like, that biofield science, which is being, um, you know, the, what, what used to be the sort of 80s aura term, you know, is now understood as the biofield, and there's beautiful science coming, like Beverly Rubric and Shamani Jane and others coming out about the field, you know, that you don't, you're, you, you're um, coming into form. This body doesn't stop at the edges of your skin. It goes out about six feet. And that energetic vibration or blueprint, the pain that we carry, is in the field. And so, um, like the work that I do with biofield tuning, I bring a tuning fork into the field, and I can feel it. It shows up as resistance. It's like, um, describe it like a hairball or a knot in the field. And if I hold the tuning fork in the field, the body will start to match that and start to resonate, just like a musical instrument. If you were tuning guitar and you had a tuning fork and you, you kind of tune it up, that's what I do. That's what happens in biofield tuning. The body starts to tune up and match the resonance of the fork. And, it's, and that tuning up is a releasing of the um, stored pain and trauma in the body. Um, you know, whether it's guilt or shame or whatever. And uh, it's a really fascinating process. And um, people really helps people heal. I mean, it's, it sounds kind of crazy, but I've done it enough and had my own experiences to, to see and witness for myself the incredible healing that takes place when people with, with energetic healing tools like tuning fork. So... Um... We are vibrational beings, and what do you mean 
um, when you say that? Like, you know, what does it mean to be a vibrational being? Yeah. Um, That's a great question. So everything is energy. I mean, we, you know, the, the, the table, the chair, if we break it apart and we go down to its components, everything is just energy, denser and lighter energy. And so it's, so that's, that, that holds true for us. We're just energy. So the thing, you know, that is your liver or your kidneys or your adrenal glands, it's fundamentally energy. It's, and energy is a wave and it vibrates. Um, and so that vib- that wave form, that vibration, um, because you know waves uh, or vibrations in the body have different pitches, different um, higher lower frequencies, and everybody's so everybody's body, the way that I that I see it and intuitively feel it is like we have a blueprint vibration. Like the moment we were born, there was a symphony playing. And that symphony was kind of the, the blueprint of you, the vibration of you. And it gets out of tune from all of the trauma that we experience as children and, you know, all the different experiences that, that happen that, that kind of whack us out of tune. And... Um, Tuning forks help the body find that blueprint and let go of what, to me, trauma is just an out-of-tune string in your body. Uh, that's how I see it and feel it and experience it. Yeah, that's really, that's really an interesting way to see this. Um, so how does breath work come into play with this? I mean, obviously, so, we are breath. Yeah. <laughs> breath is right. life. But, <laughs> right, yeah. So if we're all vib- kind of playing, uh, riffing on this vibrational aspect, when we, uh, when we breathe, the breath is this life force energy moving in the body. It's still energy. And um, the breath, the physical, is breathing in and, you know, gets all those, all those electrons. They're all moving and vibrating with the breath, it kind of allows the life force, the energy in the body to move, right? To not get too esoteric and just say it allows that energy system to move. Um, you and I talked about acupuncture before we got on. and I'm a huge yes. fan of acupuncture. So it's the same, that energetic system that acupuncture works on. So the breath is moving that energy in the nadis and the channels in the body. And so... Um, Another way to see it is that um, that disease is like stuck energy in the body. It's a place where there's a blockage. Um, and the breath helps if we if we we can just simply use the breath to move energy in the body, it it will facilitate healing. The body wants to be blueprint the body wants to be whole it's always trying to heal so I don't at all believe in the western model of like the body is just constantly breaking down and um (laughs) and sort of moving towards towards disease I actually my personal experience is the body wants to heal it wants to come back to that 
blueprint. And the breath is a, is a, by breathing in life force energy in the body and moving it, we facilitate the natural healing process. We help the natural healing process happen. So that's what breath work does. Okay. And so there's, you know, there's different kinds of breath work. Um, so where would we start if we wanted to start with our own breath work? Um, what is the best pattern to use? I don't know that there's a best, but what, so, but what I would like to talk about is the, the, the breath work that I teach and work with people on is called the breath of love. And it was developed by this um, breath work practitioner, Julia Mick. And in the breath of love, we do, um, I take, we guide through a series of um, processes that first relax the body really deeply. And then when we relax it, then we activate, we use like an, we call it an activation breath. That's a faster, deeper breath than normal. And then that actual moves, it allows the body, once we activate everything, then we guide people into a deep surrender, like a theta state. And that is like where the real healing happens. So it's a, it moves through different stages. Um, uh, with of the breath and and in the final stage you're just actually letting the breath breathe you it's very gentle um, so and you can do you can do this process that, that that I guide you know in in half an hour or an hour but you can also do it in in six or eight minutes of kind of taking the body through relaxing activating and surrendering Hmm. It sounds wonderful. How do we keep our mind? Well, I guess, you know, I, I think I answered my own question because I was going to ask you, how do we keep our mind from wandering back to the same kind of mindset? But really, it's through this practice of keeping up this mm -hmm. practice every day to bring ourselves back to this state. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The consistency is so key. Like, it, it really, really is of, um, you know, so like to me, I mean, yes, sitting, you know, having a defined time of 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, um, an hour of meditation is wonderful. But actually, to me, life is the meditation. Like, I'm always practicing um, my understanding, my experience of the limited self and then stepping into, an, uh, into this knowing as the unlimited self. So it's a, in a way, I want to answer by saying it's a lifelong practice. The practice doesn't stop. Um, and those consistent practices every morning for a set time are super essential to, it's like the foundation that we build upon, you know? Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you... In your work, you combine ancient wisdom with modern science, and um, mm -hmm. this is you call this the ultimate life hack. So, what do you mean by yeah. that? Well, I, Randy, I used to be a scientist. I was a scientist with the Nature Conservancy for 30 years. Well, 20 years with the Conservancy and other practices. So, I came from a really analytical. Um, way of being in the world 
and, you know, wrote many, many scientific papers. And, like, I, I get that world and understand it. And um, so when I went on my journey, I was really inspired to bring the what I had learned in the analytical modern Western science world and marry it with these transcendental teachings, these timeless teachings of who we really are and meditation and all of that. Um, and one of the things that I did on my, in the beginning of my journey as a scientist was like, just start to understand like the brain waves, for example, and what's happening in the brain when we meditate. And I was really fascinated to learn that when we're thinking a lot and we're caught in a busy mind, like that has a brainwave pattern, you know, you might know this, but just to, for those who don't know, that's the beta brainwave state. And when we open our mind and start to relax through meditation, through guided, through different types of music, like binaural beats, we, we shift into more of an alpha state. And then when we're in deep meditation and we access kind of subconscious, we're in a theta state. And I found that really helpful for my analytical Western mind to kind of start to understand, oh, okay, this signature of a busy mind, this beta brainwave state, you know, it's a thing. And I can consciously work to shift into an alpha state. That really, my, my conceptual mind really loved that. And then I started to get into all the different tools that I could use to access that alpha state to feel calmer. Um, and I can go on, but I'll just pause there and say, does that, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Does it resonate with you? you? And, and I think, you know, it's got to be difficult, um, as a scientist to, to do this shift, um, because it's very different. I mean, I understand why it intrigued you. Um, and I know that science is moving more into, you know, more into the quantum field than, um, Mm -hmm. than, you know, it the scientific kind of um, understanding that we've had, you know, for many years, which science is always changing. Science is only as recent as the newest discovery. But um, so how did you, how were you able to open your mind and, and get out of that scientific Western medicine, scientific mold? So you just really um, got into the understanding of the energy and the brain waves and things like that, that took you there? Exactly. Yeah, when I started to go down the brainwave path, that was really my entree into into learning about this. If for right now, it's it's sort of still alternative science. It's not what you know is taught if you you know go to you know high school. My my daughters who are you know just in high school physics classes aren't learning this stuff. But right. um, I think it, <laughs> um, you know it's still based on the materialist you know physical view of the universe. Um, but I think it's I think we're reaching a point where it's going to be also undeniable, this energetic view of the universe, the quantum, all of what quantum science and all of the amazing research going on in England and Europe about quantum science. I think it's going to be undeniable really soon. Um, And, you know, but like, that's great. 
but then like to me there's still like the day-to-day pain that people have like whoever's listening you're like okay well I'm whatever you know it's not really that important to me what you know what you're learning in high school it's actually how do you apply that what does that mean for your daily life you know and how do you how do you actually use that to be a better human and to be flourish and be happy and I found like just to geek out a little bit I found like this headband called the muse where I could put it on my head and listen to my brain waves and get feedback on whether I was in a you know busy mind a beta brain state or whether I was moving into an alpha state and I found that just you know I started to meditate with this and one, it was really fun. And I put it on. I'm like, whoa, I can hear my brain. So when you put this on, <laughs> and, and if you have a busy mind, you get a lot of rain. And then if you have a quiet mind, the rain quiet. Oh, you know? wow. And like, yeah, like that one tool changed my life because now <clears> I knew like what to do. You know, my conceptual mind that wanted to know what to do um, loved like the feedback of, oh, that's what a quiet mind sounds like, you know? Interesting. Um, so this is kind of like biofeedback, right? Right. It's a form of okay. biofeedback. Yeah. Yeah. It's called the muse. Um, that sounds so fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the muse. If people go to my website, I have a resources page, and you can find a link there, and you can – there's a discount, too, if you click through that link. Um And, but that, like that one tool. And then what I did was there's an app that you can get, um, like $15. It's called the mind monitor. And if you really want to geek out for those who are super geeky, you can map your brainwaves and you can see, you can do a 30 minute meditation or 15 minute meditation and you can see the alpha, theta, you know, delta brainwaves on a graph. Um, and so I, Really, as a scientist in me, I just thought that was so cool. So I started taking graphs of my meditations and studying them. And then, okay, I'm going to geek out a little more. I wrote a program. (laughs) um, I coded a program. And basically what I did was um, I wrote an article about this for, uh, for, for a year. I meditated every day with the muse and recording my brainwaves. And then I actually showed how... I, you know, got more alpha and theta over that year and less theta. So I could see the shift in my own brain. That's my point. And I found that super empowering. Like, I felt like my brain was quieting, but to actually see it on a graph was just, you know, to prove to myself my brain really changed, you know. And that message of you can change your brain, you don't have to be stuck in a, you know, busy mind is, you know, a fundamental message I really, you know, I want people to know that you aren't stuck with a, with a, busy, with a busy mind. And, you know, there's been some great research. Sarah Lazar it was a scientist at Harvard. There's tons of, um, tons of meditation research, but she's one who showed that, you know, 20 minutes of meditation in eight weeks, you know, calms your brain, builds more gray matter, you know, helps, improves your memory, that was my experience too, you know. Um, so it doesn't even take that long. You don't have to meditate for a year to, to see real measurable changes. It, it <laughs> happens in weeks. That's so cool. <clears throat> and, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that 
um, that we have trouble with is, is these intangible concepts, you know, okay, so we're told that this is going to help us. But when you can see something like that, when you get the actual feedback and you know, you, you actually learn how you can control, the, um, you know, help to quiet your mind just by being aware that it's not, you know, of the noise that's going on in your mind. Um, I think that's really exactly. very, very cool thing. I never heard of this before, the Muse. Cool. What is your website, yeah. by the way? It's heartmindalchemy.com. Okay. Yeah, it's very empowering, right? It, it, like, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's just, to me, I really try to empower people to know that you can change, your brain can change, um, your your well-being, um, your fundamental sense of the world and suffering is all very, very changeable. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. Um, so there's a question on your sheet here, and I'm going to ask you, how can we, uh, how can the path of self-love benefit the collective? So if we're really interested in, you know, everybody says, well, there's, so many things need to change. Who am I to change them? How is one person going to change them? So mm. how does changing ourselves change the collective? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, two, two ways. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go two ways. The first way is when you, pu- I call this like putting on your own oxygen mask first. Like when you step into your own self-love and flourishing, like you become a happy, well-being, that affects all the people around you because we're energetic beings. So it's like now you're, you're singing, to go back to the um, analogy, like you're singing a beautiful symphony and other people feel that vibration and they will come into resonance with that. So the people in the room you're around, the people that you, the checkout person at the grocery store, like everywhere you go, your higher, you know, vibration, that, that symphony, that song you're singing affects the people around you and it brings them up into, you know, it sounds a little woo-woo, so I sort of hesitate, but into that higher vibration, into that place of love. And we could just call it, it helps them shift into love by you well, being I, in love. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all relate to that because, you know, we can relate to when we're in, in a really good headspace or feeling really good. The It affects the energy around us. It affects the people around us. When we're down and, um, you know, moping around or feeling blue or depressed or whatever, it, then we don't attract that kind of good energy. So I think we all kind of know yeah. that that um, – that this is a real thing. I don't think it's that woo-woo. I think we all experience it. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's like, it's like a ripple in the pond, right? You know, you just, it, because, because every, everything is connected, right? Exactly. Exactly. Because everything is connected. And then I think that actually transcends just the people, you know, in, this is the kind of getting into the quantum science realm because quantum field knows no time and space. You're, you're also sending that ripple out into places that you don't even know, you know. And so this is like the hundredth monkey, you know, where um, there was this research, right, where they gave monkeys a tool in Madagascar, you know, a new tool they'd never seen. And then they, um, you know, the, the monkeys learned to use the tool and unlock the food. And then the monkeys that were on the island next door that had never gotten that tool also learned 
how to use the, you know, to, to use the tool or to, you know, and in affect um, their landscape, even though they've never met or been introduced to the others. So, so if we raise our vibration into love, then that's affecting the quantum field. We have no idea, but that's, I mean, I think that's the prayer effect, you know, actually at play in the world that our, you know, our vibration is affecting well beyond what we can actually see. We really don't even know the limits of that where our conceptual mind can't understand that. So I feel like that well-being that we're bringing into the world affects far beyond just even our immediate um, people we're touching in our lives. Right. I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think the best way that we can affect change in the world is to change ourselves. Um, to be as clear, as pure as we possibly can. You know, um, there are people who are activists and they believe that change requires protest and anger and, you know, um, great big um, overt kind of acts of of trying to make change. I think the best way we can make change is to just do it from ourselves. I don't think that all those big overt actions are really doing what, what people um, think that they are. But I'm a more passive yeah. kind of person. I'm more about, you know, I can feel that the energy that I put out is going to make changes. And so it's really important how we think. You know, absolutely, Randy. And I really agree with you. I stand with the Dalai Lama on this. You know, I think he's a good I mean, who better to follow than, you know, the like spiritual, one of the great spiritual leaders of the world, you know, to take a stand in love and compassion. And um, I don't feel that adding more anger into the world is helpful. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense from a vibrational point of view to me. Important thing we can do is take a stand in love and compassion first for Mm -hmm. ourselves and then the world. And that's what the world actually needs. And right. it doesn't mean that we won't take a stand, you know, it's like a fierce love, right, to protect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, we'll still protect our children, we'll still, you know, take a stand against the things that, you know, the awful things that are happening in the world. But we can meet those things, actually, and take a stand in love and compassion. We don't mm-hmm. have to go down the road of, of anger, hate. And all of that, I think there's. I yes. think the Dalai Lama is a great example of a way to do that in love and compassion. Yes, yes, that's such an important message for people. I mean, if if more people would get that kind of concept, this where mm-hmm. everything would calm down. You know, if everybody mm-hmm. stopped being so angry and thinking, you know, that they have to put up so much resistance to the things that bother them, and just relax into it. Um, and like you say, live in love and compassion. Uh, so much would, would change in this world. But we're heading in that direction. Yeah. I think that, you know, we're moving out of this 3D uh, mindset um, consciousness and moving more into this 5D consciousness, which things are going to be very different at that time. And right now, there's so much... Um, because we're in, in this transition, I think there's so much upheaval because everything mm-hmm. is kind of being challenged and thrown off because we are 
headed for a major change as far as humanity goes. I completely agree. I, I think it's getting louder and it apparently worse actually because we're doing major healing as humans, as humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, things appear worse, but actually vibrationally more people are getting exactly what you're saying. <laughs> um, more people are shifting actually. That's my, that's my experience. Um, well, you know, and it, it's my experience as well, because when I started doing this, uh, this kind of work and I started, I've been doing this show for over 12 years. And oh, wow. when, I first, when I first started, yes, I've interviewed over 500 people. When I first started doing this show, um, there wasn't as much awareness and awakening as I'm finding now. But the guests that are coming to me more and more and more are people who are fully understanding this in, in just different ways. They're coming to it in different ways. But it's, um, you know, if when you're not connected to so many people that do this, it doesn't seem like there's that much change. But I see it. I see the kind of mindset um, that is it's everywhere, really. And it's affecting people who never even really would have considered that before. It's just everyone is sort of getting on board with it. Um, some are slower mm-hmm. than others. But, yeah, but a lot of people really are getting on board with it. It's making more sense yeah. to people now. Yeah. Yeah. I so, it's so wonderful to hear you say that, that, you're, that that's your experience. And, you know, you're obviously seeing a lot of people um, as, you know, hosting this show. And, mm-hmm. and that's my experience, too. It's like people are getting it because it's the truth. <laughs> it's like the truth <laughs> will prevail, you know. Um, and uh, it, it reminds me of that. Martin Luther quote, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And to me, it feels like the, the truth arc of the universe is long, or the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards truth. Like, like we're pointing in the direction of truth always. And that, you know, it's so obvious to me that that's what's true, that like I have no fear around that that's not going to happen because it's right. true. We're beings of love so we will ultimately land in love how right. could we I agree right I completely agree I mean there were years ago because I've always been uh you know deep thinker in this way and I remember I found very few people that didn't look at me like I was some kind of alien when I would begin to speak about this stuff <laughs> you know and I used to really like to do that. Like I'd be in the, you know, in a group out to lunch or something with a group of women. And then I would throw out some kind of bizarre consciousness statement and watch everybody look at me like I was crazy, you know. And that's the way things used to be years ago. But um, yeah. it, it, I yeah. feel like I've come home because there's so many more people that understand this and get it. And, um, and I'm, I'm really grateful to, um, to you for bringing this work um, to us and how do we so if we want to work with you holly how do we do that um thank you randy and i'm so grateful to you for the work that you do i just want to say that because it's it is, um so important to get this message out to as many people as possible um so if you want to work with me my website's heartmindalchemy.com 
and you can um, see the different offerings. And I have a free 30-minute discovery call that I offer. So if you know you like this, but you're not sure it's for you, um, book a session, a 30, you know, a 30-minute free session with me, and let's talk, and we can figure out if it if it's right for you. Okay. Um, Perfect. Hmm. Perfect. Oh, it's been so good talking to you today. Thank you. Likewise. It's been so good talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so so um, have a wonderful day um, and um, keep doing this amazing work that you're doing. It's tremendous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you okay. so much. You too. You're welcome. Take care. Take care. Mm-hmm. Bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlifeatrandyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.